1: News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. 1-866-408-7669 The number to call uh, in about a half hour. But we got two great guests coming your way. Condoleezza Rice at the bottom of the hour, the sixty-six Secretary of State, who happens to be a Soviet slash Russian expert let alone the dealings that she personally had with, and she'll be in studio, for the dealings she personally had with Vladimir Putin. And Brett Forrest is here, national security reporter for The Wall Street Journal and author of the new book, Uh, Lost Son, An American Family Trapped Inside the FBI's Secret War. And we've got to get his take on the uh, the fast-moving series of events in Russia. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. We have a whistleblower come forward and says they
4: were denied information that they should have had. Hunter Biden got special treatment, preferential treatment, and they ran this case in a a ridiculous way. So that to me is the big takeaway. Nothing has changed at the Justice Department.
2: Uh, That is uh, Jim Jordan and about the Hunter investigation, his uh, sweet ass plea deal, the impact of the whistleblowers who tell the truth about events that took place behind the scenes uh, to save him and his dad. It seems there were forces to help him out. Where's the truth? Will we ever get to the bottom of it? I think so.
5: Number two. It's still early. Uh, President Trump does have a huge, huge lead, but that poll shows that there is room for movement. And the fact that that Governor DeSantis has moved a little bit is no doubt giving some hope to his supporters. Yep.
2: uh, 2024. Trump looks even tougher to beat, even with the expanding Uh, credible GOP field, yet uh, head-to-head with President Biden, he loses. Ron DeSantis in a dead flat-footed tie, the strategies, the game plans, and court cases all coming your way.
6: Number
7: one. Putin himself here cuts a deal with a leader who betrayed his country and conducted an armed insurrection and was closing in on Moscow. That in itself, people are going to look at and see for the strong man that Putin claims to be, this is weakness.
2: I think so, too. Stunning. Russia turns against itself as Wagner almost takes over the country. Putin retreats to a bunker and yet to speak about the coup that mysteriously stopped short. What does it all mean for the war in Ukraine and for President Xi's uh, thug buddy Putin and Russia? We'll follow the head snapping news. Let's do it with uh, let's do it, Brett Forrest right now. National security reporter for The Wall Street Journal and author of the book I just told you about. Lost son. So, Brett, your reaction to the series of events, and does it surprise you we haven't seen an address from Vladimir Putin since Saturday? Oh, good
8: to be with you, Brian. And yeah, that that's uh, stunning that he hasn't spoken on it. Um, you would imagine if something like that happened in this country, uh, there would have been an address right. to uh, to explain to the
2: populace what's going on. So, people in Russia, I think, are are in the dark. Four thousand people—hard to believe it would be able to take over a country of 156 million. But with most of the army in Ukraine and being uh, being unencumbered heading down M4 highway, it's like 95 heading into the White House. Right. Right. Why, why do you
8: think he stopped? Well, I mean, there are there have been some reports that um, uh, that the Russian forces were uh, threatening members of uh, his family or members of family, uh, family members of other leaders of Wagner. Um, but I think fundamentally what happened is that Putin reached out to uh, Alexander Lukashenko, as you know, the president of Belarus, to, to broker some kind of deal. Is that weird? It, it is a little weird. But, I mean, Putin – it, you know, what's striking here is that Putin made a deal, right? Putin domestically doesn't make deals. Putin tells people what to do. But he didn't have really have a choice here because, as you noted, uh, the military, the Russian military, is otherwise occupied, right? And Wagner has quite a large force. And they are heavily armed, and they're determined, organized, organized, yeah. Because if you if you recall uh, the city of Bakhmut, I mean, it was Wagner that took the city of Bakhmut. It wasn't the Russian military, so at Wagner, a great price, at a great price, yes. But and the thing to, to note is that Wagner has has a certain esprit de corps, if you want to call it that, that uh, the Russian military lacks. I mean, the Russian military has largely been uh, demoralized in Ukraine.
2: So where does this war go? Number one, mm-hmm. biggest disaster ever, and which is so amazing is. Uh, of um, of you see the Wagner group come out and say, "Okay, the war's a mistake. There's no Nazis in the Ukraine. Uh, the NATO was never a threat to us. We don't belong here. We don't have any ammo, and the, the, we are terrible war fighters. And the Secretary of Defense is terrible."
8: Well, they're saying basically what what we've known all along, right? Uh, He's, uh, Prigozhin has undercut, the, the leader of Wagner has undercut uh, the, the message that Putin has been putting out there since February 24th last year. Uh, but we all knew this.
2: So this immediately makes you wonder how vulnerable Vladimir Putin is because unlike Zelensky, who stood and fight when threatened, this guy went to St. Petersburg. And now we're two days in. We get a statement about an hour ago that said, cutter. Uh, Qatar firmly backs and Iran firmly backs Vladimir Putin. Wow, that's important to know. That's for his domestic audience, I guess, to say. Other world leaders, and we know the Chinese government t- said put out a statement too, still support him. But for how long? A bad war he can't win and he can't afford. And now you have his best fighting force. He told, melt in or you're under arrest. And Prigozhin uh you could go live in exile i'm sure in a villa in uh belarus which is not feasible it just doesn't add up does it i mean you put these pieces together and uh
8: you know russia has said that uh, that a truce was brokered a deal was made yeah but
2: this is this is the beginning of something it feels like not the end of something so here's what admiral james Stravitis, former supreme allied commander of nato said yesterday cut 5 in terms
3: of prigozhin I couldn't agree more with Ann. You you know, the Game of Thrones philosophy applies here. If you go for the king, you better kill the king. Prigozhin didn't do that. He now is going to be isolated from the 35,000 fighters that have protected him. He's like a snake whose head has been cut off from its body. I don't think he'll last 60, 90 days, frankly, because Putin at his dark heart. Right is a never-forgive, never-forget kind of person. He'll do everything he can to wreak vengeance on Prigozhin.
2: Far bored for me to go against the admiral who's a great friend of the show. But I think Prigozhin probably is savvier than Putin. I think he's probably surrounded pretty well right now. I don't know about where his family's located, but I, he knows he's not going to survive in some mud hut in uh, Belarus. He knows he's got troops in Africa and in Libya, so he's going to go to where his forces are. Yeah, and, and they're loyal to him, remember. Yeah, obviously, yeah. they're willing to take go 4,000 miles, go to 180 miles of Moscow. Right. So how do you report this story when you can't get there?
8: Well, it's very difficult, but we have a great team of reporters, obviously, at the Journal, people who have great experience in Russia and in Ukraine, um, and uh, it's just a lot of phone work. Um uh, but it is hard because, as as we've discussed before, I mean, my colleague Evan Grishko, which is was apprehended there and, and uh, makes it very hard for not only us, but other uh, Western reporters to work in Russia.
2: Well, let's talk about the politics now. It seems like uh, people are reluctant to continue to fund the war, uh, Republicans especially. And I think personally, they look at Ukraine and see the role uh, they played uh, in Donald Trump's impeachment. They see that. Um, They see that some things that they don't like about Ukraine and their setup and the corruption that has riddled that country. And they're they're saying, why are we pouring all our money here? But for 5 percent of our defense budget, we we have degraded, helped degrade the Russia uh, defense budget, maybe 50 to 70 percent. So to me, that is to our advantage. And that makes strategic sense for America. How do you see it, Brad? Yeah, well, I think uh – the U.S. In, in, in its pursuit of its
8: own national interests here is, is, uh, is putting money um, in the right place. You know, I, I, obviously, the, the events of just the last couple of days showed us that um, uh, when, you, when you prosecute a, a failed war, it creates a lot of internal domestic pressure. And that's not something that Putin has really dealt with seriously. There were a couple times in his 23-year reign when he has faced domestic pressure, but he's been very adept at keeping it under wraps. Look what happened the last couple of days. And let's think about what's going to happen to him going forward. We just don't know. But it's it's very possible that something serious could happen.
2: Right. Uh, and the instability in Russia, the only thing that worries me is the nukes. But I think people, for the most part, that would be wrestling uh, for power would know that blowing up the world doesn't work to their advantage. And I also think this. If you're worried about uh, escalating the war, you see what just happened. Give the Ukrainians what they need to be successful. F-16 should be coming from us, not from the U.K. Give them the attackums, the long-range weapons, in order to hurt the Russians who are only going for civilians, hospitals, and infrastructure. Give them what they need to be successful. The Ukrainians are a dream fighting force. They actually fight well, and they they uh, they do their best MacGyver on anything we give them to make sure they last and have diverse... Uh, they had a patriot missile knock knock a hypersonic out of the sky we did not think they were capable of it and it's our stuff
8: yeah well we've seen the ukrainians they they have made some mistakes in terms of using uh uh weapon systems that they're not fully trained on but as you've just pointed out
2: sometimes they they get it right surprisingly yeah. right and and they and they fight and they're dedicated and they've already sacrificed yeah. so much uh, so let him win. Brett Forrest, National Security Reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thanks so much. And pick up his book, Lost Son, an American Family Trapped Inside the FBI's Secret War. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Ryan. All right. We come back. We take your calls. one 408 7669 Then we welcome in the former Secretary of State. Busy day. So glad you're here.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: These incredible poll numbers are one of the main reasons the Marxist left is weaponizing the criminal justice system to try and stop us. If I wasn't running, or if I was doing badly in the polls, all of this investigation bull**** would stop immediately. Stop
2: immediately.
6: And I did nothing wrong. It's under the Presidential Records Act.
2: So the President of the United States has been indicted in New York and in uh, and he was indicted now in Florida. So now for the Mar a Lago situation, and guess what? His poll numbers are even better. So if you look at what he's in now, he's at fifty one percent to Ron DeSantis twenty two percent, Mike Pence at seven, Nikki Haley at four, Tim Scott at three, uh Chris Christie. Uh, Chris Christie at five for some reason. Okay, Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is three. So head to head, uh, Trump beats DeSantis 60 to 36. Trump was a head leading by just 15 in April. So he's lengthened that lead since the indictments came down. Why 64 percent of the American public thinks this was uh, political, which means other people don't. What hurts Trump is not so much for the nomination, but for the general. What do you do? Groups where DeSantis leads Trump. Persuadables independents, women without college degrees, voters over 65, and swing state voters. That's why head-to-head they're tied. Uh, That is Biden and DeSantis. Head-to-head, Biden beats Trump by about four points, which is astounding to me because Biden seems to be somebody who failing as a president and failing with motor skills. I mean, so far, people were asked, do you think— That Biden is healthy enough to run. Does he have physical, does he have the mental and physical health to serve? One in five Democrats, after he got elected on Election Day 2020, said uh, one in five Democrats were concerned. Now it's at 43%. And then it went from 43% to 68% concerns over Joe Biden's mental and physical health. Now, 55% are concerned over Trump's physical and mental health, but they probably would have felt the same way when he was 14 uh, uh, or 40. It didn't matter. So that's a little bit different. This is the killer for Biden. Direction of the country. How many people head in the right direction? How many think we're in the wrong track? Only 20% say we're heading in the right direction, 74% say, wrong direction. That is what makes him vulnerable. Plus, the fact that he looks like he's 120 years old. Here's Governor Chris Christie on how he plans I get the nomination going after Trump because he believes he could beat Biden. But he also says he knows it's an uphill battle. Over the weekend, he was booed at the Faith and Freedom Conference in front of mostly evangelicals when he brought up an anti-Trump phrase. Cut 23
9: been in the in the race for less than three weeks, and I'm already in third place in New Hampshire, only four points behind Ron DeSantis, who's been in the race for a longer time and is supposed to be the co-frontrunner. Uh, look, um, people understand that folks need to take responsibility for what they do, and my message to the folks at Faith and Freedom, which did get some good reaction, too, but of course I expected the boos that is predominantly a Trump crowd, uh, but they need to hear the truth, too, that you know, character is the single most important element of a president of the United States because you can't know every uh, every issue that's going to come across a president's desk. It's not a litmus test with check boxes are in them. What you need to know is what is the character of that person.
2: Well, I mean, people would uh, bring up that you know, obviously, Chris Christie is somebody very comfortable going after Trump, but he also was very comfortable joining with Trump. But after January 6th, things have changed. The one thing I think that Christie really shined on, and maybe we'll play this a little bit later, uh, when asked by Howie Kurtz that the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, made fun of your weight, he said, oh, look at him. He's some Adonis. Uh, He said, uh, a bully on the schoolyard. Here's my message to him. I don't care what he says about me. I don't care what he thinks about me. And he should take a look in the mirror every once in a while. Maybe he should drop the weight thing off uh, on one of his criticisms. You know He's not Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I don't know if you saw him over the weekend, but RFK Jr. is ripped. He's got the body of a 30-year-old doing push-ups, and he wants to show everyone how healthy he is in light of the new poll that came out. So where is Ron DeSantis? I actually am not critical of Ron DeSantis' rollout. I think that he's got to go through all 50 states. A lot of stuff he does without cameras is fundraisers. You're getting ready for Iowa, getting ready for New Hampshire. I don't know really what missteps he had. You might not like his answer on Disney. You might not like his answer on abortion. I don't necessarily mean to think that's bad, but that's him. Here's Jeff Mason of Reuters. Cut 25.
5: Well, it is getting serious. I think that that assessment is probably one that's shared by some other Republicans who expected that Governor DeSantis would come in and really knock the socks off of the Republican Party and certainly the people out there in the Republican realm who did not want to support uh, former President Trump. That said, it's still early. Uh, President Trump does have a huge, huge lead, but that poll shows that there is room for movement, and the fact that, that Governor DeSantis has moved a little bit is no doubt giving some hope to his supporters. So we'll see what happens, obviously. You know, it's going
2: to close, but the one thing is pretty clear. If you thought indictments were going to stop Trump, you're wrong. If you thought the legal case is going to stop Trump, you're wrong. Uh, You gotta go beat him without alienating its base. You gotta say, hey, listen, love you guys, I'd be better. I think that going after Trump on the wall is crazy. I think going after Trump on immigration is crazy. If you wanna say you want to get Mexico to pay for it, I think you got something there. On the trade deals, that's one of his assets. Also, I think going after uh, after Trump when it comes to Ukraine might not be as popular, but I understand people want to be true to their school. For example, Governor Christie knows, feels like what I feel. This is absolutely necessary for America's future. Most of the Republican Party seems to be trending differently. Maybe it's going to be different after this weekend, after you saw the uh, instability in Russia, and you realize one of our global nemesis, uh, un uh, unmoored, uh, insta, uh, unstable, knowing that they got their hand all over Africa, got their fingerprints all over Syria, They took over Crimea and two sections of Georgia. To have them unstable, to stop their uh, imperialistic ways, it is a positive. So we'll see where it stands. So listen, when we come back, the former Secretary of State, Condoleez Rice, will be in studio. And then we'll finish up with your calls. Busy day. A lot of breaking news. Don't move.
1: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: I think he knows full well that his future is dependent on what happens in Ukraine. I don't see him admitting that he made a terrible mistake here and pulled all his troops out. Certainly there's insiders and elites that probably unlikely have come to that conclusion, but they're not going to say that publicly. I think Putin is going to stay in the fight because he realizes his survival and his regime's survival Is tied to it.
2: So that's General Jack Keane doing some instant analysis on the fast-developing news over the weekend. But there's nobody better in the country to talk to than who's in our studio right now. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you see the former Secretary of State, the 66th Secretary of State of the United States, Condoleezza Rice. Uh, Now she's running everything at the Hoover Institute and a senior fellow on public policy. Great to see you.
10: Nice to see you too. It was so right? nice
2: you to give us some time, and yeah. how fortuitous for me that yeah. this what Russia. A,
10: what a day! Right? Oh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Out of everything that you've studied, you you're a. That was your focus in college and yeah. your master's Soviet Soviet Union, right? And then it fell apart, and made it a little bit more challenging. <laughs> so, your thoughts about what took place over the weekend? The biggest surprise for you?
10: Well, the biggest surprise for me is that uh, if our intelligence agencies knew something was brewing among the Wagner group, and apparently we did then the Russians must have known, too, that something was brewing. They have molds inside of all of these groups. Why didn't they do something to head it off? Why did it get to the point? that you had Prigozhin on social media and on television talking about marching on Moscow. And how bad a
2: war this and is, how and bad how a war. there are no Nazis right. here. Right. Well,
10: that's probably the most uh, most damaging thing that he did, is Putin has had this uh, narrative that this is a just and necessary war because of the West and the Nazis and Ukraine and so forth. And Prigozhin, one of his closest allies, just blew that up and said, no, we could have negotiated with our brothers in Ukraine. Uh, we didn't have to lose all of these people And now Putin needs to answer for that, too, because that's been an unspoken uh, view all around Moscow. Uh, Putin started this war thinking it would be over in five days. It would never touch the lives of people in Moscow. It's touching the lives of people in Moscow big time now. And uh, he hasn't been able to uh, now hold on to this fiction that this Uh, was a just war.
2: And don't you think, uh, Madam Secretary, that if Vladimir Putin wanted to show strength and could, he would – We haven't seen him since Saturday morning. He went to St. Petersburg when the attack took place. And then he goes, now today, we're looking at Monday, time zone adjusted, nothing. We just have some statement put out that a couple of countries still recognize Vladimir Putin, a a missive of support from China. You've met him. Yeah. Would you? How would you characterize what the guy you know from how he's acting?
10: Well, he has always been or had always been confident. He wanted to have an air of invincibility. Uh, he was the only option uh, for the Russian people. And this is an incredibly weak response. Uh, first of all, to make the deal. After you've said that this was treason, uh, you were going to uh, have these criminals pay, et cetera, et cetera, and then you make a deal to let uh, uh, Prigozhin go to, to Belarus. By the way, if I were Prigozhin, I'd be careful about open windows and I'd be careful about uh, anything that might taste slightly metallic. He, uh, Putin will not, I think, let uh, Prigozhin uh, live for terribly long because he remains a threat as long as he's alive. But the other thing that I have to say about this is, uh, yes, where where is Putin? I suspect they're trying to get their act together. They're trying to figure out what is the explanation for having made this deal. But the longer that he doesn't speak to it, the more social media right. and the, the chatter in Moscow uh, is really uh, overwhelming everything. And he's losing control of the narrative.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure you saw how, we, how the Wagner group was retrieved in Roskop, and then through the towns as they just move through all of yeah. them. They shoot down three choppers right. and they just stop uh, 175 or 200 miles from, uh, from Moscow. So we, we know that already. But my sense is this. If he does go to Belarus – I'm sure he's got his guys with him to a degree, don't you think?
10: I'm sure he does. But <clears throat> Vladimir Putin has shown the incredible ability to uh, hunt down his uh, enemies. And so I think he will I, – I just but the can't the best believe... guys
2: in the country seem to be on the Wagner Group.
10: Well, the Wagner Group is spread out around the world, remember. They've got people in Syria. They've got people in, in Africa. And so uh, a lot of these uh, Wagner Group folks who were fighting uh, – soldiers who were fighting in Ukraine – were prisoners who were taken out of the prisons and put right. forward. They're fierce, and they are brutal. But how good they are, I don't know. I just I just think that for Putin, uh, this is uh, Chapter 1. He effectively lost Chapter 1. Now he's got to figure out how he uh, wins the next one. And here I completely agree with Joaquin. The last thing that he can do is say, well, yes, they're right. The war in Ukraine was a mistake. Ukraine, Ukraine war now is the war that could make him... Nicholas I. Now, who was Nicholas I? He was the czar that lost the Crimean War and started the downward slide of the Russian Empire. And so uh, with all of his history, and right. he is a history buff, with all of his history in his mind. You know, Brian, he once told me uh, <clears throat> the only time Russia has been great is when it's been ruled by great men like Peter the Great and Alexander II. That's who he thought he was. Uh, he's in great danger now of just being a failed czar, and uh, that's got to worry him. It,
2: it does, sometimes I think... You know, he looks back, he was part of the G7, G8. He was part of the family of nations. People were trying to get him going economically. You know, look at Bill Browder, who's just with Hermitage Capital, right. they killed McGinsky and all these things. He goes, yeah, we were all over there making money. We thought they they did. Right. were making a sincere effort towards a degree of capitalism. Right. At one point, somehow either he changed or his objectives were never as they appeared.
10: Well, he certainly was a nationalist from the very beginning. I think once the Soviet Union collapsed as a young KGB officer, he was humiliated by that. He decided eventually he'd get to rebuild the Russian Empire. That, I think, was was there. I do think that uh, he valued his role in the world. I I remember, Brian, when he made all of us, uh, the President of the United States, the Chancellor of Germany, come to the 300th celebration of the founding of St. Petersburg. And it was this huge thing with, you know, people spray painted gold. He he loved being on the international right. stage. Uh he's now turning his country into a large North Korea, back at the borders of Peter the Great. This is why you're hearing these, well, yeah. Qatar supports us, China supports us, because he's still trying to have that image that he matters in international right. politics, right?
2: And uh, one thing they yeah. did is something um, that Trump wasn't able to do: get them off, nor get them off free, uh, cheap Russian oil and gas. Yeah. Nordstrom one is now blown up, and Nordstrom two will never happen, even though Joe Biden had given in right. and said, "Well, it's almost done anyway." I'm just going to share this with you. The main intelligence directorate of the Ukraine reported that Russia is considering an attack on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Russia's troops have turned the plant into a heavily fortified military base. The reactor's cooling system is. Uh, is mind yeah. So we'll to see if they try to change the subject. Yeah. But how do you feel, Condi, uh, about us getting the attackums they need, the F-16s they asked for, and stop fearing escalation? They started this war. We can't lose it. The Ukraine can't lose it.
10: Yeah. Brian, you're absolutely right. I've said all along that I think the Biden administration has, has done the right things too slowly. So instead of anticipating that the Ukrainians were going to need air defenses, we waited until Russian, the Russians were using those Said no attacks, patriot, then gave them patriots. Then gave them patriots. We said no tanks, then gave them tanks. Now it's aircraft, uh, fighter aircraft. Oh, well, now we'll give them to them. So we've not anticipated what was coming and been all in in giving uh, equipment to Ukraine. It's time to really double down. And by the way, I just want to say this to the internal debate in the United States. Anybody who thinks that now the uh, the United States supporting Ukraine all out is the wrong policy just has to look at what's happening in Russia today. This is an historic moment for the world. If you want to tell teach Xi Jinping a lesson about Western power, about the ability to control events Absolutely. in the international system, if you want to say, oh, by the way, Afghanistan... Yes, that humiliation in Afghanistan. Forget about that. Look at what we're doing in Ukraine. If you want to say NATO is stronger with Finland and Sweden, this is our moment. Don't back down now.
2: But the problem is the president of the United States doesn't explain it, why it matters to the U.S. And one thing about you guys, you say constantly, this is what Iraq means. This is what it could mean. I don't care where you stand on it. We had an explanation. But I feel like General Jack Keane and Lindsey Graham are doing a better job explaining why it's important than the president and secretary of state, because this is what it means to the West. I thought Jack Keene put it perfect. By using 5 percent of our military budget, we have degraded Russia over 50 percent. It's probably over that. And on their choice, they are one of our chief enemies in the world.
10: And we've knocked a hole in the relationship without limits between Xi Jinping and Putin. Right. You know, when people say well we should be concentrating on China, well this gives us uh, a lot of leverage also in reminding China that uh the United States and its allies can be quite formidable. And oh by the way, Ukrainians aren't asking for American boots on the ground. They're asking us to give them the equipment to fight this fight.
2: Right. And they're trying to kill so they're trying to blow up hospitals and kill civilians because they can't beat the Ukrainian right. war. Lastly, is the State Department capable of facing down China all around the world with this Belt and Road program, shouldn't they be fanned out in Guatemala? Shouldn't they be fanned out in Brazil and in Colombia and in uh, throughout Africa and prov- provide an alternative? Empty that building. Get these people out to let them know we're not looking to extort you. We're looking to support you and what the Belt and Road program is. This can't be a one-person job, and that vision has got to be explained, don't you think?
10: We need to be much more active in this way because the Chinese are not actually giving these people a very good deal. They get a lot of debt, and if they can't pay it back, the Chinese claim the port. We have a much better deal. We will help you build an economy where you will get jobs for your people, where there will be foreign investment, where your economy will grow. Uh, We did something like this in the Bush administration uh, when we gave lots of assistance through the Millennium Challenge Corporation to countries to build their economies. And, oh, by the way, the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, which saved 25 million lives, that's still uh, something that is greatly appreciated in Africa. America, when it leads with power, compassion, and creativity – uh China will be no no match, but you're right we're We are not out there in the way that we need to be, particularly by the way, in places like Latin America, which are in our backyard
2: right, and we can't ignore and the great chance to re reprogram our manufacturing. Yes. i don't want to get you involved in politics that that' would be demeaning you, but uh for the for the most part, what concerns you most about the state of our country right now?
10: What concerns me most about the state of the country right now is that Americans are losing um faith in their own institutions. Uh, Our founding fathers gave us the greatest institutions ever bequeathed to humankind. I mean, they're remarkable. And yet you have people who want to say those institutions are elitist and they're not for you. And we have others who say, oh, they're soiled by slavery and so don't believe in them. Uh, We have young people, and I teach some of them. Uh, who don't actually know the difference between socialism and capitalism, and so they say, well, socialism doesn't sound so bad. We're doing a terrible job, uh, Brian, of telling the American story, of telling the possibilities of the American story, to bring yourself from whatever circumstances you have in life uh, to better circumstances. Our educational system is failing our poorest kids. We've just seen these reports of, of what's happening to math scores and to English scores. What worries me for more... They most, for, for the people that need it most. For the disadvantaged What communities. worries me most is uh, what we're doing to ourselves. Uh, we, we need to, to refocus again on, uh, on America's promise. Fixable? Fixable. But we've got to start doing it. And we've got to challenge those who say that America is not a land of opportunity. What greater land of opportunity is there on the earth?
2: And you're somebody who grew up in the segregated South, and and you feel that way. I
10: grew up in the segregated South. I don't look at America with rose-colored glasses, but I'll tell you something. I've been all over the world. Nobody deals better with difference than the United States of America. Nobody gives opportunity to those who are different like the United States of America. And it's the reason we are the great country that we are, is that despite our history, despite all of the... Uh, problems that we've had in our history, we keep working brick by brick, step by step to make we the people a more inclusive concept. And we've done right. a lot. We've got more to do. But uh, I just I really reject the idea that this is not the land of opportunity.
2: And I get worried selling the 250 years of America's past yes. that we're not going to celebrate it. And It's only a couple of yes. years away. Yes. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for coming in. So it's always great to see you. Great to
10: be with you. All right.
2: I only wish I could have had a professor like you over. It. I could have gotten <laughs> into Stanford with my grades. That was the problem. Great to see you.
10: Great to see you too, Brian. Thank Back you. in a
2: moment.
1: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
5: I'm a dark horse candidate. I recognize that. But we have seen over the last couple of days that we need people that have a real experience when it comes to national security. And look, Donald Trump had some good ideas, but he lacked an understanding of the second and third and fourth order effects of those ideas. He lacked an ability to leverage the, the, the government in order to execute on those things.
2: And that is a little of uh, Will Hurd. And I thought he was great over the weekend. He got, a, he got a slot on one of the Sunday shows. You know, he declared he's running for president. And I think, you know, look at his resume. Congressman, a couple of terms, border state, Texas, in a very purple district, won twice. Worked with uh, Beto O'Rourke, when, uh, has a reputation working across the aisle. Then he spent nine years in the CIA. He's also in, uh, of African-American descent. And shows a diversity with Hispanic in his background too. Shows a diversity of thought and an ability to understand world affairs, and an understanding also, at the very least, of immigration. I'm not sure what is going to get him and where he's. going He's definitely in the back. But look, the governor of North Dakota, same thing, unbelievably qualified, self-made success story. But they're going to need some momentum. They're going to need. They're going to have to find a way. They're going to have to find a way to uh, get noticed, and I don't know how you go ahead and do that, but I do appreciate him on foreign policy. That's where he's going to distinguish himself. Here's what Will Hurd said when it comes to uh, Vladimir Putin, cut 12.
5: And what we've also learned, and the thing that I get frustrated, this old-fashioned concept of escalation. You know, the Biden administration is always talking about we can't do something or we can't help our allies because we're going to escalate. What did Vladimir Putin do when he had somebody barreling down the highway to come to Moscow? He didn't escalate. He backed he, down. He capitulated. Yeah. And so we should we should we should learn from
2: that. And that's why get them what they need to be successful. I've never seen a, a, a more savvy group, more dedicated group of fighters. Uh, most of them had other jobs prior, but they've all been trained, they've been hardened, they've lost loved ones, or they've been forced to deal with the fact that their family's been sent away to another country, and they watch their hospitals being blown up, they watch their schools being razed, they've seen their country leveled in many cases, and they're still standing through the harsh winter, and now through the summer, now the tanks are there, just get them what they need to be successful. I don't think it's too much to ask. The ambassador to Russia, John Sullivan, on Face the Nation, Real quick, on Wagner and what they were doing. Cut 14.
3: Prigozhin himself spent most of the 1980s in prison because he's a career criminal. Wagner operates in states in Africa and elsewhere, not because they're patriots who were uh, executing policy on behalf of the Russian government. They're there to get access to gold gold mines, oil resources, and so forth. This is a money-making organization, corrupt organization, that the United States correctly treats as a transnational criminal organization.
2: And what happened is, when they came out and spoke out against the war, how inept the regular Russian army was in Bakhmut, how many guys they lost because they didn't have proper arms and ammunition, they came out and said, the war is dumb, we are not winning it, They evidently were reportedly giving up positions of the Russian army, who then turned around and did the same thing to the Wagner Group, to the Ukrainians. Bad stuff.
1: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Everyone, welcome to the latest uh, moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. We're looking at the fast-moving things going on in Russia, how it impacts the war in Ukraine and us here at home. Stunning news over the weekend. I'm sure you were glued to the television like we all are. Uh, Daryl Johnson will be on, talking about year two of the USFL. Uh, The outstanding fullback for the Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles is running the league now. And they, Fox and NBC, did a great job. We're now set for Canton in the finals. The USFL finals are upon us. Uh, Robert Lighthizer, one of the MVPs of the Trump administration, they got the respect across the aisle Uh, for what he's done on trade. He's got a brand new book out called No Trade is Free. We'll talk to him in a moment. But first, let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
2: Number
3: three. We have a whistleblower come forward and says they were denied information that they should have had.
4: Hunter Biden got special treatment, preferential treatment, and they ran this case in a a ridiculous way. So that to me is the big takeaway. Nothing has changed at the Justice Department.
2: Crazy. Hunter. His newest sweet-ass deal, the impact to the whistleblowers who tell the truth about events that took place behind the scenes to save him and his dad. This all from afar, if this is all far from over.
5: Number two. It's still early. Uh, President Trump does have a huge, huge lead, but that poll shows that there is room for movement. And the fact that, that Governor DeSantis has moved a little bit is, no doubt, giving some hope to his supporters.
2: 2024, Trump looks even tougher to beat. With expanding uh, credible, uh, with an expanding and very credible GOP field, yet head-to-head with Biden, Ron DeSantis is stronger. The strategies, game plans, and court cases all coming your
7: way. Number one, Putin himself here cuts a deal with a leader who betrayed his country and conducted an armed insurrection and was closing in on Moscow. That in itself, people are going to look at and see for the strong man that Putin claims to be. This is weakness.
2: No question. Stunning. Russia turns against itself as Wagner almost takes over the country. Vladimir Putin retreats to a bunker and yet to speak about the coup, they mysteriously stop short. What does it mean for the war in Ukraine and for President Xi's thug buddy Putin? And Russia, will we follow the head, will will be the latest coming out of Russia with this head snapping news. Uh, And by the way, special thanks to WVOS 1240 AM in Liberty, New York, uh, the carrying our show as of today over the Catskills. So we're we're privileged to be even a bigger voice in upstate New York, the voice of Sullivan and the Catskills. Joining us now, Robert Lighthizer, United States trade representative from 2017 to 2021, author of the new book, No Trade is Free, Changing Course, Taking on China and Helping America's Workers. Robert, congratulations on the book.
4: Well, thank you very much, Brian, and thank you for having me. You know about books; they're uh, they're they're a lot more work than people think they are who just read them.
2: Yeah, and now you got to go tell everyone about them because everyone's going to want to get this. Robert, you did the impossible. You were praised by Nancy Pelosi and by Donald Trump, by by Schumer and by Lindsey Graham. How did you do it?
4: Well, well you know, it's funny. I I kind of had three rules. One, uh, and this is not helpful for you, I tried to stay out of the press. I tried to stay in my own lane, that is just talk about trade, and I tried not to take credit for anything. And if you follow those through, those are three rules that I recommend for anyone who's 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 in government or policy jobs. Uh, And, uh, you know, the other thing was, to be honest, I've been working with Democrats a long time. The the policies that we're talking about are policies for working men and women. That's what President Trump brought to the party. And, And those things appealed to a lot of
2: Democrats also. So, you know, I want to talk about what you accomplished, but also you go do a good job going back in history to give it. The biggest disaster, you said, was letting the, letting China in the WTO. And you point out that Bill Clinton and George W. Bush were both for it. Everybody wanted to think if you bring China into a, uh, a family of nations, that they would play by the rules. But what exactly happened and what were the results?
4: So, so first of all, Brian, there was this kind of notion, you'll remember, that the Berlin Wall had come down and that people were writing books about the end of history and 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 finally, that the great wisdom of America would prevail and take over, and we wouldn't have wars and the like. There was this kind of nutty history going on. And I call it sort of the, the trifecta of stupid policy, almost all of which was implemented during the Clinton administration, but some of which – well, a fair amount of which was supported by Republicans. So this is not meant to be a partisan shot. But it was, first of all, NAFTA, which was a huge mistake. And 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 George W. Bush's father, the first W. Bush, 41, he really promoted that. And then Clinton got it through. Then you had this WTO bill, this this created this this new institution called the Uruguay Round. And then you have the one you're referring to, which is about giving most favored nation to China. These were all all things that Clinton sort of had. And the notion was, with China, you just trade more with them, and they'll become like a little Switzerland, right? And it was idiotic from the beginning. And of course, we all know now that it doesn't work out that way. And anyone who looks at these things and doesn't conclude now that China is a a dire, an existential threat to the American way of life and to American supremacy in the world is either hard to get through to or has some other game they're playing because it's literally crystal clear. And what you see is This China has become this great strong adversary with an 18 trillion dollar economy. And my position is that almost all of that was done either through through uh, solar technology from the United States trade deficit transfers of wealth from the United States. Um, uh, you know, fentanyl sales, money from fentanyl sales, and the like. So they are a very hostile, very aggressive power. We have made them very strong, and we did it through very stupid trade policy. And one of the things that President Trump did, and several Democrats in the Congress agreed with, was try to take on China. And, And for the first time in American history, a president did take on China. He put massive tariffs on China. He challenged him. He stopped exports, uh, uh, exports of technology. He did all of these things. And we were beginning to see bill results. And then, of course, uh, 2020 came along, and we couldn't follow through on all that we wanted to do at
2: that time. Because of the pandemic. And then, of course, you, you only got the four years. But you were en route to doing something, but it was but you couldn 't really trust them. We lost our manufacturing base and the in the exchange for you, you point out that we used to we made the first computer in one thousand nine hundred and seventy six or right now we have to import almost all our computer parts furniture uh, you said now seventy three percent of all furniture is sold uh, sold in America is imported, so we thought that many people thought as outsiders. Well, for cheap labor you can get your stuff built overseas and sent back, and America would like cheaper goods. But the result was no wage growth.
4: It, it was no wage growth, it was no jobs. Look at the the basic notion and and, and by the way, it is my position that no conservative should be a free trader because they're not conserving anything. Conservatism is about conserving values and and, and taking and promoting what's good in American institutions. And, and the free traders are all about consumption and materialism, which is the opposite of the values. But what this policy tended to stress, and by the way, it was egged on by a lot of large corporations that made a lot of money in the process, and then American workers and families and communities suffered. But what they promote is price optimization and getting the cheapest third television set instead of production, instead of worrying about whether or not families stay together in places like I grew up in Asheville, Ohio, and whether or not people stay off of drugs and whether people have a happy life and want their children to believe their children will have a happier life. I, I sometimes say, Brian, that my philosophy is about kids being proud of their parents and parents being hopeful for their kids. That's what our trade policy is. And I believe now that in the Republican Party and in a lot of Democrats, but in the Republican Party, it is the ascended part of policy. It is, it, it is a policy of taking on China and of reversing these, these globalist populist kinds of policies and stressing in, in fact, what effect it has on families and workers and the, the, the basic strength of the country.
2: So, and you see that also. You, you had a, uh, you had a trade deal with South Korea, I believe. You also had one of the USMCA, famously, to fix NAFTA. Did it do everything you wanted?
4: So, so we got the vast majority of what we wanted. That USMCA is a good example. of it. it's the biggest trade deal in history, right? It was NAFTA was a disaster. USMCA is a great deal, and we passed it with 90% of the Republicans and 90% of the Democrats. I had, I had 50 people who had never in their long career voted for a trade deal, vote for that. So we did deals to try to, to get trade under control. We did the biggest deal ever, which is USMCA. Um, we did a deal with Korea. We did a deal with Japan, which was really, really an important deal. We did a variety of minor deals with Ecuador and Brazil and places like that. Right. But we also began the process of using our laws to put pressure on other countries, India, France, who were treating us unfairly. Now, that takes time, and that was the, we were in the process of doing that. And you saw – Ryan, you saw the trade deficit come down. You saw it come down in like five of the seven quarters before the pandemic, before March of twenty twenty. You saw the trade deficit come down. So we were moving in the right direction. We we had we had basically turned the battleship around and we were heading in the right direction. And, and on China right. you saw the trade deficit down five straight quarters. So we were really making a difference. Now it's exploded. Now the trade deficit is Well, over a trillion dollars. And the trade deficit with China, as I say, the official deficit is Mm -hmm. 380 billion, but the the real deficit is probably closer to eight or nine hundred billion dollars.
2: So, the word from the Biden administration, by the way, Robert Lighthizer talking to us now. His book is now out, and we hope to get him on television to talk about it. Um, It is called No Trade is Free Changing Course, Taking on China and Helping America's Workers. But when you when you look at what's happening now, they talk about don't decouple from China, de-risk. Do you do you understand? How would you define that?
4: So so to me, I'm I'm a completely look. It's a it's a simple process, right? Everybody understands. One, you look at China, you determine are they uh, an aggressive adversary. Do they want to dominate the world and do they want to do everything possible to to overcome America? Once you decide on that, then you can't continue logically to transfer hundreds of billions of dollars to your adversary that's that's building their army, building their navy, building their technology. Stealing our technology.
2: And stealing our technology
4: too. And and for sure – I, we estimated when I was in the government that the theft of that technology was worth more than three hundred billion dollars a year.
2: So, I, so, so the, the so, big
4: so the, so, so the question is: yeah. once you decide that that they are an adversary, then you have to begin the process of I call it strategic decoupling, and and to me that means put on tariffs on everything until you get balanced trade disentangle all the technology and limited investments going to them from us and from them to us. So if you do those four things, you begin the process, and it'll take time. You phase it in, and we we at least stop feeding the monster that's going to devour us.
2: So everyone's worried about invading Taiwan and what it would mean. Congressman Rich McCormick with a military background said this over the weekend.
6: I have a real sincere concern that 100% of our AI chips right now are, con- are, are produced in Taiwan. With the posturing we have from China, talking about they are going to take over Taiwan, having an adversarial country owning 100% of the production of the most influential technology in world history deeply concerns me. Now, I know AMD has some processes uh, that they want to produce AI outside of Taiwan in the next couple of years. But in the meantime, what do we do? I, I feel like all of our eggs are in one basket.
2: Uh, what do you do about that?
6: Well, look at this is all the
4: result of this failed policy that began in the '90s, and and I can't overstate for your listeners how dangerous our situation is. And there's sort of two sides to it. One's the the kind of hard power, the military, the national security side. The other is the economic side. I'm, of course. Uh, uh, focused on the economic side, but the economic side is driving both of them. So what do you do? We are so vulnerable. As you point out, not only do we start computers and and the like, but the United States developed semiconductors, and we now make about 12% of our own needs. It's crazy. And None. Let's listen to this. None of the, the really highest tech ones. We make zero. We don't have the capability to make them in the United States. The really, really small semiconductors,
2: so now we have this chip so, spill to bring them back here is that does that work for you
4: well look at i 'm a supporter i 'm not saying that everything about it was perfect, um, but i 'm a supporter of the notion that we have to subsidize on these high technologies. Look at not only is China subsidizing our adversary. Europe is spending, you know, a half a trillion dollars. Japan is spending hundreds of billions of dollars. Korea is spending hundreds of billions of dollars. The notion that we would somehow say, oh, we're going to do it through market forces, that's a prescription for disaster. That can't possibly work. So, of course, now, is that, was that bill, did it, was it perfect? No. Did it need improvement? I'm sure it did. But but that's what Congress stays in session for. And if we take if the Republicans take over the Congress, hopefully they'll modify that right. in a way that makes it more helpful.
2: Robert, would you go back if Trump wins?
4: Geez, you ask the tough questions. Um, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, uh, you know, I it's it's a difficult personal decision during the four years. Biden, and I saw you from time to time during those four years. You know, I basically had no life but the life of a Right? I, I didn't play golf. I didn't. I didn't do anything. Right? All I did was work. I was negotiating save the country. Sometimes. Yeah, I would negotiate sometimes with China, Japan, and Europe in the same week. You know, and so you're you're <laughs> doing reading and doing all. So would I go back in? You know, the people who know me, like my kids, say, "Dad, yeah. you know, you would if asked." So
2: who knows? All right. Uh, Robert, we've got to get you on TV, too. Uh, Go out and pick up his book. It'll also help you in negotiating in life, uh, and also putting America's first is always a good thing. No trade is free. Robert Lighthizer, thanks so much.
4: Thank you so
2: much for having me on your show, Robert. Absolutely. He's a great guy. Uh, Back in a moment with your calls.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Yeah, special thanks to WVOS 1240 AM and, and Liberty, New York, for carrying the show. Hope you love it. Went a little long in that segment, but Robert Lighthouse has got so much to say. So much applies to today, plus dealing with the Chinese on a regular basis to bring manufacturing bases back to, uh, to the U.S. We're not too good to do that work. I think the union's got to be somewhat cooperative to make it possible to get that work done and bring it back here for a good price where people can actually make a profit. And, of course, we've got to afford it. That would be key. So, so much of what he said is exactly what Donald Trump ran on. They were the perfect match for each other. I was hoping that any administration would want him in there negotiating. I think most people realize after the pandemic, bringing manufacturing back, and all of a sudden, the pharmaceuticals, the computer chips, the computers, period. All this stuff, the PPE. We should be making it home just for national security. If not, with a close ally in our hemisphere. How about that for a change? You listen to the Brian Kill Me show. So glad you're here. Back with Daryl Johnson. We talk a little sports and then take your calls. Busy hour.
1: show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everyone. In a matter of moments, we're going to talk to Daryl Johnson, who's running things for the USFL. They're finally in their finals. I just love success in sports stories and brand new leagues. We're now in year two. Semifinals over the weekend. Uh, first one, Maulers uh, versus the Panthers. Uh, final score, 31-27. Uh, here's, uh, here's some of the shootout in overtime. Come for you. <laughs>
3: Williams.
1: Throw is caught. Successful. Williams keeping himself. Yes, sir. Endings of overtime. Gotta have
4: it.
5: Perry. And that is deflected right there at the line in Pittsburgh. They're headed to the championship.
2: And then the Stallions at home in front of about 20,000 versus the New Orleans Breakers. This was a contest, was a knockout early. Stallions win 47-22. Magoo underneath. Sternberger. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Underneath
7: pass caught Davion Davis. Running room afterwards, spinning all the way into the end zone for the touchdown. Hey, and they get it. Davion Davis, his
2: second score. Third touchdown pass from Magoo. Magoo keeps it, cuts it through and make it seven for seven. Touchdown. Birmingham under pressure. Throws on the run and finds Josh Johnson, and that's another Birmingham. And there, just like that, we have our our finals. It's going to be the Maulers against the Stallions. It's going to be uh, Pittsburgh against Birmingham. With me right now is Daryl Johnson, Uh, as you know, former three-time Super Bowl winner with the Cowboys, now USFL executive vice president. Daryl, you're heading to Canton.
9: Yes, awesome, awesome. As you pointed out, year two. So uh, very grateful to a lot of people who've made this possible for us. And the, the way the game goes, there's an old saying in football, that defense wins championships and offense sells tickets. So we're going to see if that holds true. Uh, it's the, the best defense in our league and the best offense in our league. So we'll see which one uh, which one holds course.
2: Skip, uh, Skip Holtz got coach of the year. Uh, and your quarterback of the year, was it, uh, was it Magoo?
9: Uh, he's probably going to be our MVP of the league. That'll be announced later this week. Uh, but I, I would say, obviously, he's he's the hands-down favorite right now. Uh, just had a great season. Um, in the post-game press conference last night, just listening to Skip talk about Alex and his maturity and growth from last year uh, through the season, season one and into this year, uh, it was really, really impressive. They got a great relationship, great rapport. Uh, and it's hard to beat a team when the head coach play caller – and the quarterback are in sync on on not just football, but everything else. It's kind of like they're an extension of the thought process of what, what to do in a third and critical situation, what to do in the red zone to get, to get touchdowns instead of field goals. So those two are working in lockstep right now.
2: How do you get tickets to Canton to watch this final game?
9: Go to the, uh, the USFL.com and and get your tickets. Uh, You know, as you pointed out, the Birmingham crowd was fantastic Sunday night. Um, The energy that gets into a stadium like that just makes the experience that much better. So uh, we had great crowds in Canton last year for our playoffs and then in a fantastic crowd uh, for our championship game uh, last season. So we're, we're trying to replicate that again this year with a great shootout. And, you know, I know Pittsburgh's an hour and 15, hour and 30 away, but we've got to get those Maulers fans to do a little bit of a road trip for us and come in and, and really kind of support the team that finished in last place last year. They're 1-9. and nine. Um, Nobody had them on the radar this year. Ray Horton comes in uh, as the new head coach, but are you really going to go from – the last place team in the USFL to the championship game. I don't think anybody expected that type of turnaround. So I'd love to see the Mahler fans get behind this team and, and get out there in Canton and support them.
2: What about, uh, what about these uh, players? So who, how many players do you think will get invited to camps?
9: That's going to be the big question. Um, I I still like, does that make you guys
2: look good if they get invited? Is that something you guys like, or you just want them back next year?
9: <laughs> right. we're kind of torn a little bit we love the fact that we've created that opportunity for him to get another chance in the NFL and hopefully stay there this time and and, and be able to have a two three four year career uh but what that does to us is it makes us go out and, and have to fill that spot so um I think what what the leagues in the springtime do is they show there's talent that's out there on the street that's available for us that it's not that it was overlooked in the NFL I think sometimes. It's just timing and circumstance. Um, You know, a player goes to the wrong team and he's not a great fit for the system. Um, You know, there's a number of different reasons and it's not just young guys trying to find their way into the league. It's sometimes a veteran in free agency that changes teams and it's just not a great fit. The culture doesn't work. The scheme doesn't work. So there's a number of reasons that there's talented guys available for us. So, you know, we're we're really happy when the guys get that opportunity. That's why we do this. Yeah. Uh, you know we have a chance to change the trajectory of a young man's life, and we'll go out and find another guy to do that for.
2: Uh, I was talking to Dal Johnson, and the championship game is going to be July first at uh, eight o'clock. It'll be on uh, NBC because uh, they also you, they're also uh, co owners of the league, correct?
9: Yes, yeah. I mean, two fantastic partners. Uh, I tell everybody when when I when I want to watch a football game. You know, during the fall and, and watch the NFL, it, it's Fox's America's Game of the Week uh, and it, it's NBC Sunday Night Football. I mean, those those are the two that, in my opinion, have really raised the bar and the standard of how you broadcast the game. And they've given us access to, to all their talent, to all their their technology. They've pushed the envelope on some of that. So you'll see some different things uh, in the USFL than you would on a Sunday watching NFL games, but we've got the two best in the business supporting our league, uh, as we get ready here to do the championship game.
2: Uh, so, uh, so Daryl, after that, you're going to have to weave right over to the NFL. Are you going to give yourself any time off?
9: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I'll, I'll, Take a breath and, and catch up. But then I've got a it's funny because you immerse yourself in our league and you're doing everything day to day to make sure that, that we have a successful season two. And now I've got a I've gotta shift gears and I've gotta catch up. There's <laughs> there's been a lot that's going on in the NFL that I've I've stayed in contact with from a distance, but now I've gotta kinda get in there and, and do a deep dive into uh into all the changes that have come from the draft, from mm-hmm. free agency, uh, and just kinda get an idea, hopefully get a look at what our potential broadcasting schedule will be and that'll give me a couple of teams that i can really focus on and, and see what i think of them and, and what their chances are for having a good season
2: yeah we'll see i know you get another year before tom brady joins fox on the fox team so we'll see what happens uh when he does that but i'm just uh looking right now at your broadcast it's so different one of his first class you heard kurt Menefee on the call just now uh, between the offensive coordinator communicating to the coach between the referees going through the deliberative process on mic, uh between the between the reporters meeting the players in the end zone sometimes to ask them the consequential questions on the drop or the catch, what do you like better as a fan i mean one of my you...
9: favorite things is is what what all of our sideline reporters have been able to do I think they've really kind of pushed you know what and we allow this. The NFL is never going to allow that access. So the, the, the sideline reporter that you see in the NFL um, can only do so much. There's so many restrictions placed on them. We we give such liberty to our our sideline reporters. I mean, I, how many times have you seen, you know, a shot of coach and quarterback talking, and there's Brock Hewart right behind them you know, kind of listening yeah. in on everything, or to your point, you know, you're sitting down, Hey, take us through that last drive. You know, what, what, what did you see on that third and 12th? You know, that, that, that was a great conversion that way. And and you're getting it in real time. So for me, you know, kind of the access to the critical moments in a game and to hear from players and coaches themselves, explain what the thought process was through that I think is is the one thing that really is impressive to me. And then I think you do that, the same way yeah. with some of the uh, with video, I, you know, I, I love the handheld camera that kind of gets right in there in the huddle and and kind of brings you inside that huddle. It, it's such a it's such an earned spot to be is is to be in a professional football huddle during the course of a game, and and we've provided the ability for these cameras to get in there and, and give the fans at home kind of a listen to what's going on in that huddle.
2: Well, uh, you had a great year. It's not over yet. Sell out Canton and finish strong. Uh, Daryl Johnson, who has about uh, 90 minutes off over the last four months, uh, <laughs> and is going to have to sprint up to Canton now and leave Birmingham. Daryl, congratulations!
9: Thank you, Brian. Thanks for all your support during the course of the season. I really appreciate
2: it. Uh, no problem. Uh, go get him. USFL now in the finals in year two. Uh, July 1st at 8 o'clock on NBC. So when we come back, your turn. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six. Now, what I have not discussed is what happened uh, with the Hunter Biden situation. is much more serious than anybody thinks, and more that's being exposed than anyone thought. Now, I understand this weekend, all the Sunday shows except Fox uh, covering Russia. I get it. It's, it's, it's historic. I understand it. But this is a big thing that will not be swept under the rug, and you'll see it. Uh, it's just too strong. The facts are, 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 are uh, beyond reproach, and it's about to be front and center. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the
7: more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are going to run this all the way to the ground. I'm going to tell you my belief. I'm speaking for myself. This is public corruption, uh, with two a T. This is a paper paper play scandal to a T. And this is a cover up now at the Department of Justice, and I also believe at the White House. You mean to tell me there are investigations at the IRS and with the Department of Justice that are being tamped down by the political brass, and the White House doesn't know, Joe Biden doesn't know, the White House counsel doesn't know, the chief of staff doesn't know? That is a lie. They all know. This is a cover-up. Richard Nixon never did anything to the scale of what's happening in front of us right now. And and for people
2: who say it's no big deal, keep in mind, Hunter Biden's threatening a Chinese executive saying his dad is sitting right next to him and he's not happening, he's not going to forget in a WhatsApp text that nobody says is not verified. So the whistleblower brings it out with no political identity. He just is a IRS investigator respected by all and another one who's unnamed. We understand, too, not only did Hunter proclaim that his dad was next to him, they do would do an investigation, according to Rob Walker. Joe Biden was present at least twelve times on different occasions with various business partners of Hunter Biden, which shows you he's playing a role and he lied to you again when he said, "I had no knowledge of my son's overseas business dealings." We didn't buy it then, and we don't buy it now. So listen to Senator Amy Klobuchar get a direct question from. The outgoing Meet the Press anchor cut 36.
11: Do you think it was appropriate for Hunter Biden to be at the same event uh, as the Attorney General Merrick Garland
5: was in the same week he uh, accepted a plea deal?
10: You know, I think as the president explains, that's his son. That's a separate thing. And I would like to say um, about that. That decision was made by an independent prosecutor who is a Trump appointed U.S. attorney uh, who had... 10 years of experience, well-respected. Philadelphia Inquirer reported that he was a registered Republican. He looked at the facts and evidence and made that decision. And by the way, if that's what the Republicans want to run on uh, in the coming election, good luck.
2: Okay, a couple of things for the senator. Number one, she should get up to the date on the story before she does the Sunday show. Maybe she was convinced she wasn't going to get a question. This is all about the whistleblower said a totally different story that David Weiss was compromised and tried to bring it forward twice. He also tried to get special prosecutor status to to pursue a more a wholesome investigation that would include his overseas business dealings that would top $17 million, not $1.5 million. Think about this. Can you imagine making $17 million? Neither can I. Can you imagine not paying taxes on it? Neither can I. Can you imagine them doing an investigation of you not paying taxes and then only finding $1.5 million? Neither can I. So if Amy Klobuchar says if Republicans want to run that, go ahead, what are Democrats running on? Donald Trump's indictments. They're not running over his immigration policy. They're certainly not running over the way he got out of Afghanistan. They're not talking about how he neutralized uh, ISIS. They're not talking about how he killed um, al-Baghdadi or Soleimani. They're not talking about how they had Iran in a box. They're not talking about Ukraine being invaded by Russia. None of that happened during this time, and nothing has been as bad as China-U.S. relations as they are right now. So, Senator Klobuchar, I have a deal for you. No one will bring up Hunter. Don't bring up anything about anything to do with Trump except his policies and his performance. Let's do that. But instead, every network, every paper focused on Donald Trump's taxes, Donald Trump's indictment in New York, which is a lark, Donald Trump January 6th, Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago papers, Well, you have Joe Biden, international business deals in Ukraine, Romania, China, the Moscow mayor, Kazakhstan, and a lot of dicey things to go on that go to the terms of millions of dollars with suspicious action report. He never got vetted because the press protected him and the pandemic prevented him from going out there and campaigning where we know he can't go two days without a major problem. Here's Miranda Devine on the on the impact of the WhatsApp message that indicates that Joe Biden was there when he was writing the Ted one. Hunter was writing the text message threatening the China executive cut 37.
10: I think it shows you just how important Joe Biden was in the shakedown operation that the Biden family had going around the world that they raked in millions and millions of dollars from particularly China. Joe Biden needs to answer the question. Was he in the room? And so far they've managed to stonewall. I think what we've seen from this new uh, whistleblower material from the two IRS agents is more evidence of Biden family corruption.
2: And because she's got 12 other examples. Let's go out to Ben listening in Michigan. Ben, we're talking a lot about Russia. We'll go back to that, too. So what's on your mind?
6: Yeah, Brian. Hey, good. Enjoy your show. Listen, I'm 72 years old. Um, grew up in the 50s and 60s. I remember the Cold War. I remember uh, being scared to death during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and, and 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 I just can't understand. I'm also a Republican. I can't just understand why my fellow Republicans Republicans can't seem to get on board with this, with the Ukraine uh, conflict going overseas. I mean, they just I don't know. They just seem to forget. I don't. Re- I remember. They seem to forget about. Uh, what Russia was all about back there in those fifties and sixties, and as I'm, I and I agree totally with you, I agree totally with Condi. I mean, get them the F-16s, give them the equipment that they need, and I'm just you know I just can't really understand what's what's, what's on their minds.
2: Hey Ben, also, you know like, what it is, and I've talked to a lot of them. Is that they're upset with the Ukrainian situation and, and the Trump's indictment. And they're upset that uh, Joe Biden seems to be pulling off these dicey deals and got away with it. Next thing you know, they're in the middle of a war and we're supporting it. And guess who's president? But if you just look at the whole situation the way you just did, thinking about it, what Russia's mission has always been and what Vladimir Putin has proven to be. Nothing but a thug and a gangster who does not care about the human life, especially Russian. And had a folly of a mission in raiding Ukraine. And Ukraine, whatever you want. They're a democracy that's 20 years old. It's a little, you know, there's some rough edges. But they want to be in the EU and they want to be in NATO. They have no interest in being in Russia's orbit. So we should help them get there. And Zelensky has been just awesome. And why are we not pretending? Why are we pretending otherwise? So far the polls show America's in support of Ukraine here. Now we're seeing it, and I love this stat, and I gave it to you earlier, that using 5% of America's military budget, we have managed to support a nation that's taken out 60% of Russia's military. 200,000 casualties and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment. And they are our chief adversary. We didn't choose them as enemy. They chose us. And we can't turn our heads and think we can rationalize out of it. Thanks so much for the call. So uh, com if you want to write us. Listen, I'm up against a break now. I don't want to squeeze another call and cut everybody short. But the Hunter Biden thing is big. The 2024 thing is unbelievably intriguing. And when you see what happened in Russia, this is one of those times almost as big as when the wall came down. And when, ba- when Boris Yeltsin stood on top of a tank to stop the KGB from taking back the government and letting Gorbachev finish up the next few years, he would eventually take over. That was dramatic stuff. We had great hope back then that Russia would be part of the family of nations. They were part of the G7. They would, they made it the G8. And then Vladimir Putin went nuts. And we tried to make excuses for it. You can't make excuses for that.
1: From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're all transfixed about what was taking place in Russia. Also intrigued about what was going on with the Hunter Biden whistleblowers and also uh, thrilled. uh, The guys like Will Hurt personally are in the race. And I think they're just going to add some uh, more depth when it comes to especially with foreign policy. We heard from them this weekend. And there's just a there's just a lot going on to cover. And with it, let's bring in uh, Michael Goodwin. Michael Goodwin, you know, is writer for the New York Post, columnist, uh, outstanding writer, uh, one of the most outstanding writers in the country. Also, Jonathan Turley at the bottom of the hour. We're going to be talking about everything going on, including Ron DeSantis speaking now at the border. He spent the weekend there. That's going to be the focus of his campaign, and it's going to be the focus of any successful candidate. Uh, Michael, welcome back. What's your take on what we witnessed over the weekend, the biggest threat to Vladimir Putin's uh, leadership, since he took over
12: well brian there's no question about that, is there uh, even if over the years he had been able to snuff out uh, other opponents, as we know, he locked them up people have a have a strange habit in Russia of falling out of buildings, uh, dying of mysterious poisonings, etc. but this one was a sort of a straight punch, and it came right at him. we don 't really know, of course why uh, the mercenary leader, the uh, Wagner Group leader, backed off. But uh, it, whatever it was, I think it still revealed a certain weakness for Putin, and so you get a sense that the that the game is not over yet. This this may have, in fact, just be the beginning of some new machinations.
2: So I understand that the Wagner Group uh, uh, Pershugan. Prus- uh, uh, Prusugin- but uh, what the heck? Why do I have trouble saying that? prigozhin <laughs> came out and just made a statement, and it's audio. To, here's the basic thing: he says we exposed the weakness in Russia's defense, and that we wanted to uh, we wanted to stop before any uh, more Russians would be uh, with the, any more Russian bloodshed. Doesn't sound like a guy who's contrite trying to. Uh, define his uh, actions. He also doesn't... It's not clear where he made that statement from. My sense is he's not by himself. Why would the Wagner group suddenly lose allegiance to him? After all, they're the only decent fighting group there, and they're ruthless. I'm not saying they're a bunch of good guys, but you don't just leave your leader that trains you and pays you. And basically, they live off a lot of the... Horrible work they do for these brutal dictators in Africa and beyond. So they're well paid. They're mercenaries. So I imagine he's somewhat protected. You know who's missing? Vladimir Putin. This guy ran to St. Petersburg, and we really haven't heard much from him since. No, that's why
12: I say it, it. It does expose a weakness. I mean, you, you know, it's sort of the the classic strongman thing that you're that you're invincible until the moment it's revealed you're not. And I think that's what this moment is looking like. That Putin is not sort of the master of all. Uh, that there is a an underground, and a, in this case, an above ground. Uh, criticism and direct I mean, I look I, I think that the average Russian, if there is such a, a person, uh, in Moscow, particularly, but who, who knows what's going on around the country in terms of the impact of the war? I mean, the number of casualties are far and above what anyone had reason to expect. I mean, we don't know again exactly how many, but estimates of fifty, sixty thousand dead and many more wounded uh, are phenomenal for for a military that prides itself on being superior to its neighbors. Right. Um, And then effects on the economy are probably uneven. Uh, Some of the oligarchs, of course, have been sanctioned and their toys taken away, but You have to think that there's a trickle-down effect in the sense that Russians can't really travel. They're not welcome throughout the EU. Uh, The vacation places they used to go to uh, have sort of moved beyond the ugly Russian phenomenon uh, of bringing their ostentatious displays of wealth and everything, and their thuggery. So I think there's just a lot of things that are damaging Russia, and Putin is It seems to me that people are going to be looking to him, can you fix this or not? And I suspect the answer ultimately is or not, that he cannot right. remedy this while he's fighting this war. So, and if he stops fighting the war, then he looks weak. So he looks to be trapped right now.
2: So this is a voice memo on Telegram. Here it is. Founder of Russia's Wagner Group, uh, uh Oh, my goodness. Why am I struggling with that name so much? Um, uh, Wagner Group was bound to cease existence on July 1st. We started our march due to injustice. We showed no aggression, but we were hit by missiles and helicopters. That was the trigger. We showed a masterclass on how February 24, 2022, had to look. We turned around to avoid spilling blood of Russian soldiers. We uh, regret that we had to hit Russian aviation. So they killed 40 people, a bunch of pilots, three choppers, and one jet knocked out of the sky by the mercenary group. And now you're going to go try to fight the war without them? Here's what Admiral James Stravita said, cut four.
3: There's the moral function of this, the, the internal. Picture yourself as a Russian conscript watching all this unfold, and they are doing so on the internet. They have access. Um, Number two, the material that has gone into the backing and forthing here is going to be denied. Um, Number three, leadership changes potentially, as Mike McFall said. Watch what happens to Shoigu. Does he stay in power? Is he part of the deal? I don't know the answer. No one does. Um, So bottom line here, been a very good turn of events for Keefe. Still a tough fight ahead, but I think this is uh, one that ups The game for the Ukrainians.
2: So, yeah, uh, they have to take advantage of this uh, clearly with tactically, but also stop being measured. Give them what they need to be successful. Don't worry about escalation, especially now. Vladimir Putin backed off. This guy's a thug because he has other people do his thuggery. This guy personally is not to be feared. And now all of a sudden the armor is off. Give them the attackums, give them the tanks, give them the F-15s, and let them win.
12: Well, Brian, I, I, I have basically agreed with that, but I think we're in a new, a new situation now. And I, it strikes me that one way Putin can demonstrate that he's still in charge is with a massive attack on Ukraine. I think that he would he would in that way demonstrate not only that he's in charge, but his ruthlessness and his willingness to fight. Good so luck I with think that. The they Ukrainians... don't have the forces.
2: They don't. They don't. Have, I'm telling you right now, that would be a gift to Ukraine. The way militarily they're set up, going straight ahead, leaving their trenches. It would be a giant Bakhmut all over again where they lost 20,000 people in the winter.
12: Well, I don't think it necessarily has to be a ground assault. I think he could he could empty the arsenal from within Russian territory, even uh, in terms of just flattening the cities. I d- I don't think Putin will go quietly, and if he's going to go, I think I think Ukrainians are going to be in for a tougher fight, not an easier one.
2: So I want you to uh, let's switch gears if we can, and talk about 2020 election and some of the revelations that came out with this uh, Shapley, who is the whistleblower. He's got this great reputation as an IRS investigator, and was so appalled he came forward and said, "Look, they told us not to investigate uh, his overseas business dealings. They told they tipped off the guest house where evidence was of Hunter Biden's business dealings. They tipped off ahead of time, and they told us we couldn't even go in there." David Weiss twice tried to get special prosecutor status was denied. He is the prosecuting the the uh, DA over in Delaware, and then he tried to bring the case to uh, Los Angeles and D.C. and was denied twice. This is not the story that anyone's telling you. In your column this weekend, it said Donald Trump's 2020 election loss was an inside job. You're building off that premise, aren't you?
12: Absolutely. Look, I think that when you read uh, the Shapley testimony, in light of the timing of events and the sequence of events, he he, he says flatly, in April of 2020, when it looks as though Joe Biden is going to be the Democrats' nominee for the presidential race, that is when the Department of Justice begins to obstruct the investigation into Hunter Biden. I mean, he says there are all kinds of unprecedented things they do, that the Justice Department uh, sets the witness list. Not This is a tax evasion Investigation, But the Justice Department is overruling the IRS. It's telling them who they can interview. It's nixing their requests for search warrants. They want to do search warrants of Joe Biden's Delaware House. This is in March and April of 2020, long before the general election. He's not even the nominee yet. And the DOJ is slamming the brakes on this thing, slow-walking it. And as Shapley says in his interview, he has never seen anything like this, that this seems designed particularly to protect the Bidens, and there's no, there's no standard rule against this kind of investigation so far from an election. And yet, he says they, they kept – he said the fact that they authenticated the laptop in 2019, a big, a big event – they won't let the IRS look at the laptop, even though the FBI agents who authenticated it said there was evidence of tax evasion on the laptop. But the Department of Justice would not share the laptop with the now, IRS. Now, think about
2: this, too. When it was Donald Trump's Department of Justice, I just asked Kevin McCarthy on the couch this morning, the speaker, he was, my, he was a minority leader. I said, Kevin, did you have any idea that this laptop existed? Did the FBI inform you guys you're part of the Gang of Eight? Did the president know about this, that the investigation be in held? Did this even happen? He goes, no, I didn't know a thing about it. So I want to find out from William Barr, did you know about it? Because this Department of Justice certainly knew about it. And then when well, the, if you knew about it all along and, you, and the FBI authenticated it in the fall of 2019 – how would you even – it doesn't pass the laugh test that 51 intel experts would come out and say it was invalid, especially when the president of the United States was Donald Trump. He could say, I knew about this thing a year ago. It was authenticated. But yet it seems as though the FBI – and I think this is, is terrible if this isn't the case – kept this all to them themselves.
12: Well, don't forget, Biden, uh, <laughs> Brian, that uh, they know not only that the laptop is authentic, they work with big tech. In the fall, in October of 2020, to censor the New York Post stories on the laptop, calling it Russian disinformation. So you have the FBI and the DOJ in the spring of 2020 doing this with slowing down the investigation and then in the fall telling the uh, big tech people to censor the stories. So they have protected Joe Biden throughout the entire year. Uh, of 2020 by 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 shutting down anything about Hunter Biden So my column is about how, as you say, Trump is president, Bill Barr is attorney general, while most of this is happening. And Barr did great work on uh, exposing the 2016 shenanigans of the FBI and the media and John Durham appointing him and all of that. And yet it's happening again in 2020. And Brian, we have to admit it, it's happening now about 2024. So you have the slap on the wrist with Hunter Biden, so there's no follow up, no attempt. I mean, do we think it's a coincidence that they settled the case after five years? Justice Shapley is testifying before Congress. I mean, th- this is all a scam that continues. But well, we got to get David
2: Weiss next to Shapley in the same hearing, at the very least the same day, and say, David Weiss, is what he's saying about the limitations of your power true? Okay, Shapley, you're both under oath you can't have it both ways. He took contemporaneous notes at the time and recorded them into a voice memo. Here's what Nancy Mace said about what Shapley told him. Cut 35.
13: Somebody's lying. And is it America on or is it the whistleblowers? Right now, I trust the whistleblowers more than I trust anybody. These are credible uh, individuals that have been in these agencies for a long time. They are nonpartisan. Some may have and even be Democrat. And they were stonewalled in their own investigations. And the Oversight Committee and Judiciary, we are very grateful for the whistleblowers who have risked everything, had the courage to speak up, speak out, and bring their evidence to the Oversight Committee. Because we have to show the American people all of the evidence. We have to connect every yeah. dot. Cross every T and show the corruption, show the money laundering, show everything, the RICO and racketeering that's happened, the bribery scheme. All of it connects together. Yes. And we have to show that for the American people.
2: I love the way Amy Klobuchar came out when asked about Hunter Biden showing up at the state dinner and going to Camp David, even though this is all out there. He says, well, you know, if Republicans want to run on that, uh, on that, go ahead, go have at it. The American people have other things to do. Really? The Democrats have been running on Donald Trump's investigations and alleged uh, uh, indiscretions since he t- ran for office, took office and left office. But Amy Colbert, you think it's beneath the electorate or the Republicans to run on the unfolding corruption that took place for Joe Biden, it seems.
12: And, you know, Brian, I believe Merrick Garland was at that state dinner as well. He was. Yeah. How so crazy is the that? Attorney General along with uh, somebody who's just gotten a sweetheart deal, happens to be the president's son. Uh, I'm with Shapley with you on this one. I I believe that if you can get David Weiss under oath, the uh, U.S. attorney from Delaware, uh, I believe that he will uh, effectively support what Shapley said. There's too much evidence. The fact that charges were not brought in California – that charges were not brought in, uh, uh, DC. All of those, uh, according to Shapley, they were denied. David Weiss was denied the authority that Merrick Garland said he had. Mm-hmm. Now there's always an out here, which is Weiss didn't complain to Garland. So Garland didn't know, but let's hear them make that case because I think even that is going to turn out
1: to be a stretch.
2: Michael Goodwin, always great. New York Post, NYPost.com. Go get him, uh, Michael. Thank you. We come back to your calls. Then Jonathan Turley, what an hour.
1: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Hey, well, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to Alex, listening in California. Hey, Alex.
14: Yeah, I wanted to respond to Condi Rice's uh, comment that the foreign policy uh, in the Bush administration was successful. I wanted to point out that their policy against North Korea was unsuccessful. Their economic sanctions did not stop weapons development, and it actually worsened the malnutrition in North Korea. They should have treated North Korea like they treat China, bring them into the world economy, it's true that China has a lot of faults right now. Okay, and North Korea,
2: what's next, Alex? I think you're I think you wrong on that, but go ahead. Uh, what, what's, that's the only thing that you have with foreign policy?
14: Uh, uh, I mean, Iraq was also a problem, but I wanted to focus on North Korea because even though China has a lot of faults – It is a better country today than it was before it was brought into the world economy.
2: I don't know. Uh, They are a problem. Uh, They are a huge problem. They're threatening us in every way. They could blow up the world 20 times. They have their nuclear programs unregulated. They won't go into a treaty with it. They're trying to unseat us economically, infiltrate on every continent in the world, stealing technology. Uh, I have a huge problem with where China is right now. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to wait to take some more calls i uh, listen. I see you out there in, in Vegas and in Brooklyn, New York, and elsewhere. So I'll get to you. But Jonathan Turley, just around the bend. Don't uh, don't go anywhere. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show.
1: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: Well, it's more than looking fishing. He, the family created companies when he was a VP. You've, you get 1023 saying people had to pay them to get influence. We now see foreign governments have paid. If, if you created a company, why wouldn't you have an office? Why wouldn't you create something? Why do you get paid by shell companies and forward to other shell companies than to go down to pay family members that never work into it? None of it smells right. None of it is right. They talk about the big guy, but I believe firmly we have to have a constitutional reason of where we go, and we want to follow the facts wherever it takes us.
2: And where are the facts taking us? Let's ask uh, Jonathan Turley, uh, constitutional law professor at GW uh, and Fox News contributor. Jonathan, in light of this whistleblower testimony a couple of days after the the plea deal was given, where do you think this investigation goes knowing— you have a willing whistleblower who who lets his face be out there. He's interviewed on CBS, and you have David Weiss, we have not heard from, and we had Merrick Garland who spoke late last week to say that is not true. David Weiss had free reign to do this investigation. Where do you want to hear from? Who do you want to hear from now?
11: Well, all of the above, because what we know for sure is someone is lying, and lying to Congress is a crime. And there's no way to make all of these statements compatible or consistent. So we have to figure out who's lying here. And at first, I must tell you, I was skeptical about the whistleblower allegations because I read that uh, WhatsApp message. I was like, oh, come on. I mean, this was so over the top. Even someone like Hunter Biden wouldn't uh, send something like this. But Hunter Biden's team didn't deny it. Instead, they used what I call the 7% solution. You know, They said that he was an addict, and so he said lots of things. Well, that's not going to cut it because what the whistleblower is alleging there are very specific things. He's talking about meetings, giving names of witnesses, and he has memos that he memorialized these things on a contemporaneous basis. So Congress needs to move forward. This doesn't have to be a voluntary situation. I mean, there are these allegations, if they're true, would raise criminal, even impeachable issues. And so Congress has every power and every right to pursue them.
2: And I assume they will. And and it, it's not like Whitewater where it's difficult to understand. You pretty much know where everybody's going. Here's what Nancy May said, Cut 35.
13: Somebody's lying. And is it Merrick Owen or is it the whistleblowers? Right now, I trust the whistleblowers more than I trust anybody. These are credible uh, individuals that have been in these agencies for a long time. They are nonpartisan. Some may have, and even be Democrat. And they were stonewalled in their own investigations. And the Oversight Committee and Judiciary, we are very grateful for the whistleblowers who have risked everything, had the courage to speak up, speak out, and bring their evidence to the Oversight Committee. Because we have to show the American people all of the evidence. We have to connect every yeah. dot across every T and show the corruption, show the money laundering, show everything, the RICO and racketeering that's happened, the bribery scheme, all of it connects together. We have to show that for the American people.
2: In Miranda Devine's book, she cites uh, 12 separate times where Joe was sitting in with business partners of Hunter's. And Rob Walker is the source for a lot of it, who is a confirmed business partner of Hunter Biden, who might be brought in or was brought in. It's hard to be clear on this. To talk about what these business dealings were. Everybody seems to be in trouble except Hunter. Devin Archer is in trouble, Rob Walker's in trouble. Tony Bobolinsky came forward. He was basically ignored by most media outlets. So and now you find out the investigation wasn't allowed to pursue to his international business dealings. But the numbers could be in not two million dollars, seventeen million dollars, Jonathan.
11: Right. And he's not out of the woods yet. The one of the first subpoenas that should go out is to Hunter Biden. Congress can stop all this nonsense that has been going on from the team, you know, where the Hunter Biden team says, well, it may or may not be our laptop. And then they said, it may or may not be our message to this Chinese official. All right, let's call this a day. You know, there's nothing that brings clarity like a congressional subpoena. Bring him in. He can invoke the Fifth Amendment. You, Congress could actually give him immunity since there's no way, it appears, the Department of Justice is going to prosecute him. They refused apparently, to fully investigate him. And so they can push this issue. And if he lies to Congress or lies to investigators, he would be subject to prosecution. And we also have to bring in Weiss. We have to bring in some of these other individuals to find out where the truth lies here.
2: Do you think it was uh, very unusual that that uh, Merrick Allman had a press conference on Thursday?
11: It is. You know, Garland is a very difficult figure to to work out in all of this. You know, I I praised his nomination. I still can't believe that Garland intentionally would lie just because he doesn't have a reputation of being that type of person. It is possible, however, that he did say false things without knowing it. I've said for over a year that there's no evidence that Garland is directing the Department of Justice. I mean, he appears now to be something of a figurehead, and its he's very scripted in all of his remarks. And what he did in the press conference left me quite miffed. You know, he said, well, we have this motto, you know, about blind justice. And you sit there, you're like, really? You're going to repeat the motto <laughs> again? <laughs> I mean, you've just been accused of lying to Congress, and you're reading what's over the door in the Justice Department?
2: That's a good point. Uh, I want to bring you to Donald Trump, and he continues to speak about his case. Here's what he said uh, over the weekend. Cut 20.
6: These incredible poll numbers are one of the main reasons the Marxist left is weaponizing the criminal justice system to try and stop us. If I wasn't running or if I was doing badly in the polls, all of this investigation would stop immediately. Stop immediately. And I did nothing wrong. It's under the Presidential Records Act.
2: So he doesn't, he's not shy about coming out saying his point of view on this. If you were his attorney, would you be worried about that?
6: Yeah,
11: and I i don't think he can honestly say he did nothing wrong. I, there was mishandling of classified material. Nobody could say that there was not uh, the mishandling of material. I mean, the, they were storing boxes in bathrooms and ballrooms. I it's 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 obviously not what you're supposed to do uh, with classified material. And but, you know, at this point, I think that Donald Trump realizes that his best jury is in the court of public opinion. He may be right. You know, the fact is that the pressure will build on all of these Republican candidates to say that they will pardon Trump if elected. So if he can push this trial past the election, then Jack Smith might never see a jury in the case. What do you mean? Well, because if they push past the election and a new president comes in who's Republican, uh, that president can give uh, Trump a prospective pardon. Without a trial?
2: Without a trial? Absolutely.
11: absolutely, They could pardon him in advance and effectively negate any trial.
2: What do you hear about January 6th or Georgia? Well, the January
11: 6th thing, I have to tell you, mystifies me. I would have thought that Jack Smith would gain some credibility by saying what seems to me obvious, that there is no crime by Donald Trump on January 6th. All of the efforts to turn his speech into a a crime, in my view, is ridiculous. And I criticized him when he was giving that speech on the air. But... That speech is protected under the First Amendment, under a case called Brandenburg. And yet Smith is now giving out immunity to try to make that case. I, unless they can find something that the January 6th committee couldn't do with millions of dollars and months of work, I, I don't understand why he's pursuing it. But we'll see if he closes that out. George is the same position. If Georgia is based on that telephone call by Donald Trump, then it is a purely political prosecution because that that call, in my view, is not criminal. I mean, he, Donald Trump, uh, with this much, you know, quoted line, said, "I only need to find, or you only need to find this number of votes." Well, he's going to argue with some plausibility that this was sort of like a settlement call. He was trying to, to, to get them to order a statewide review, and what he was saying is that I don't have to get that many votes for the election to come out differently. That's a perfectly plausible, in my view, seems the most logical re, uh, statement or intent behind that statement in the call. Mm-hmm. And if they base this prosecution on that statement, then it's no better than New York and what Alvin Bragg's doing.
2: And here we go. It just goes on and on and on. Costs millions of dollars, and a lot of donor dollars are going that direction. Uh, crazy, uh, Jonathan Trolley, I don't know how we afford you, but you you do. I guess the checks are clearing because you do come on. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Go get him, Jonathan Trolley, Appreciate it. We come back. We'll find out if there's more to know. Also, go to back to the phones one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine.
1: The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmead. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmead.
2: Hey, we are back one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's go out to Alex. Listen on WABC. Hey, Alex.
14: Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. So, you know this this it's the biggest threat of nuclear wars, I think, since Putin became got in power twenty three years ago. This Wagner uprising is not a positive. I think it's very risky. But I wanted to comment about the alleged WhatsApp message that uh, yep. Hunter Biden sent to
2: not denied the Chinese
14: executive. Um, I yeah, not denied and. Where he wrote there, I'm with my dad. If you don't give me the money, I'll yeah. pay. Yeah. Payback at you. I think that's not evidence that Joe Biden was sitting with him there and that Joe Biden, you know, knew about the dealings that Hunter had with China. I think there's other things that are evidence of Joe Biden being in on this, obviously, and it's very suspicious. Why the hell was he getting money from China? But I think what it is evidence is of uh, that was when uh, Joe Biden was still vice president, and if Hunter Biden is threatening, if you don't give me the money, I'll get back at you. Why is he threatening? Right? Obviously, it means that they promised him to give him money if he gives them something else in return. So clearly he already did them the favor, and he was asking them to give him the money after doing the favor, because otherwise he wouldn't be threatening them to give him the money. So I'm wondering what was that? Was he giving them classified information and left it over at the office that had ties with a Chinese institution? Maybe that's what it was, but clearly he did a favor for the Chinese, even when Joe Biden was vice president. It wasn't just bribery for the future, like if Joe Biden becomes president now so that he doesn't interfere in their invasion in Taiwan. Something went on when Joe Biden was president. A favor was done to the Chinese by Hunter Biden, the son of Joe Biden, who should have had no access to any big people except that he was the son of Joe Biden, and something really serious is going on. I I hear you, and that's a
2: great point. I mean, by the way, this guy's a Chinese official. He's a private company, Mm -hmm. but he answers to the Chinese government. Who talks to these guys like this? Since when do high-ranking government people talk to China like that? You know, it's not like a team with the Aruba foreign minister. Uh, I'm amazed at the familiarity they have and the thuggish way in which Hunter's comfortable acting or writing. And they keep pointing out, well, Hunter had a drug problem. That was a pretty coherent text. I knew exactly what it meant. There were no misspellings. There was punctuation. That's not a guy in the middle of a dr- uh, of a bender. So thanks, Alex. J.D. listen KDWN. Hey, J.D.
9: Thanks, Brian. I am amazed after a five year investigation, no trial three minor charges and no one is mentioning the fact that Hunter Biden did business in seven foreign countries without registering as a foreign agent. Manafort I did it did it in one or two countries and got seven and a half years. I don't know how long they're going to milk this cow, but this is atrocious, what they are not doing to Hunter Biden. And then he owes $2 million. I've been through tax cases. I got penalties. I got charged with interest. There was no interest charges, no penalties for not paying over $2 million in taxes. Again, I'm not a farmer, but I can smell manure a mile away.
2: Thanks so much for the call. Appreciate it, J.D. Uh, Let's find out if there's more to know
9: more to know invest in premium
1: american whiskey as it ages the older it gets the better it gets and the more valuable it gets go to caskdeeds.com that's caskdeeds.com to learn more paid for by spirits capital corporation
2: well, what are the worst charities in America? Where should you not give your money? Well, the Tampa Bay Times and the Center for Investigative Reporting noted the 50 worst charities in America gave less than 4% of donations to their advertised recipients. This is sickening. It hurts everybody working so hard for other people in great causes. The Cancer Fund of America earning legendary status in a dodgy donation game. Uh, 2013, before the president new president took over, was accused by the FEC of one of the largest charity fraud cases ever the kids wish network just 2.5 percent of its funds were spent on cash aid from 2003 to 2013 earning it zero out of four stars black lives matter donations plunged by 88 percent between 2021 and 2022 from the 77 million to just 9.3 million for more than recent financial years so they are absolutely terrible What else could I tell you? How about this? The Bills' Jordan Poyer claims he had to nix his charity event at Doral because Trump owned it, and it was a problem. Listen.
5: My tournament in South Florida on the 10th of July, um, I will have to cancel. It was going to be at one of my favorite courses, the Blue Monster, at Trump National in Doral. Unfortunately, there have been numerous amount of teams from up north that have pulled out uh, not just pulled out of the tournament but also wrote emails to a big sponsor that was going to help sponsor my tournament that company they had pulled out um, and decided that they don't want to take part in my tournament because of where it's at
2: unbelievable former president of the United States Doral is a great club mar great club golf pool whatever and they will pull, they won't uh, do it because Trump owns it. Incredible. Next. Taylor Swift is asking her fans not to cyberbully people, including those she may be referencing in her music uh, during the Minneapolis stop of the Era, uh, eras tour on Saturday. Swift addressed the crowd before playing her song Dear John," which is widely accepted to be about John Mayer. She initially praised her fans, saying, I get to stand on the stage every single night of the tour and watch some of those beautiful things happen. I watch you guys make friends with each other. I watch you bond. I watch you give each other friendship bracelets. I was hoping to ask you that we lead up to this album. I would love for the kindness and gentleness to extend to our Internet activities. I'm putting the album out because I want to own my music, and I believe that any artist who has a desire to own their music should be able to do that. That's why I'm putting it out. So there you go. She... Writes about this is a problem when you write about people you break up with. Uh, Swift then discouraged fans from attacking people online. Says, I'm 33. I don't care anything about what happened to me when I was 19 except the songs I wrote and the memories we made together. I'm not putting this album out so that you can go out there and should feel the need to defend me. Next, flavor of the season. 70% think food tastes better in the summer. 7 in 10 agree with some food just tastes better during the time of year. 71% like watermelon. 74% ice cream. 68% Sixty-eight percent lemonade. Anybody else want to weigh in?
3: What's your favorite summer food?
2: Don't eat in the summer. I won't eat till the fall. Um, so you go
3: into like food hibernation for if the you don't mind. Summer.
2: If that's okay with you. How about the outrage of the day? Gas stoves may be spewing high levels of chemical linked to leukemia. Stanford University says these stoves release benzene, a chemical linked to increased risk of leukemia. It just it just so happens it's the same thing they're doing with the green movement, I'm not buying it. They're also trying to make pizza ovens no longer coal or wood-fired, even though it makes great pizza. They want to charge pizza owners in New York this. It's got to stop. Everyone's got to back off. Weather happens. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Keep it here.